Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Terror Talk. Hi, everyone. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hi. Hey there. So today on the show, we're going to discuss the 2019 uh, Oscar winner, uh, Parasite, which is a South Korean black comedy film. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what it is, it's directed by Bang Joon-ho, who is an influential uh, filmmaker, actually. He directed Mother, Snowpiercer, which I actually saw at Sundance years ago, The Host, Memories of Murder. He's, he's not new to the scene. Some people may have thought that just because of all of the publicity that mm-hmm. this film and he got to the wider American public may not have been familiar with him. But so this film, Parasite, follows two families. Uh, one is an impoverished family named the Kim family, and one is a rich family called the Park family. And it has themes of classism, community, humanity. There's a lot of metaphor. So we're going to dive into all of that, but I wanted to give you that basic for those, you know, for the one person in our audience that may have not seen Parasite. Um, I was just telling Kathy, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of people that haven't seen it in the general public because not everybody follows the Oscars, not everybody follows mm-hmm. this kind of thing. It's kind of like Jordan Peele's movies where, you know, they're so famous and popular to us and those of us who are film geeks, but to the wider audience, you know, wider American public, maybe not. I don't right. know. So I just want to give that. A lot of people see things um, after the Oscars too. So yes. by the time this episode releases, many more of you have probably already seen it. I saw it after the Oscars. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's really, you said this on uh, our Shrink Chat episode, and I think it's really true, which is I think it was a wonderful film, so I don't want to, cheapen cheapen that but i do think because of our political climate it definitely helped the film do well and probably win best picture and i i I do think it deserved it but i think that um one of uh, i was reading um an article out of the national review and they considered it uh parasite as an antifa comedy so this is a quote that is in the National Review. It says, by doubling social decay with family dysfunction, Bong and Lenthimos lead a decadent uh, rear guard confirming millennial nihilism. It must be a global pandemic because the ugly sarcasm in these international co-productions matches the pessimism of such American features as Jordan Peele's Get Out and Us. All these movies welcome apocalypse, and that's supposed to be clever. It's metaphoric, is the Kim Sun's pet phrase. So I think discussing the concept of um, it being nihilistic in the sense that the, the the Kim family is literally living for instant gratification and life is essentially meaningless and nothing else matters when you are that impoverished. And I was reading another article about this. I don't remember if it was in the paper or not, but this was uh, Bong's attempt also to um, really emphasize a lot of like liberal um, um Ideals. Ideals. Thank you about just how this is where we're we're heading and how it has a, a very apocalyptic theme and nihilistic theme. So it's just something important to mention because so much of this film is about survival, um, and that's where I think it's really raw. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind uh, with you saying that is one. 
you know, this, I was really aware and we've done a past episode on Jordan Peele's Us and Get Out, uh, which actually leads straight into this episode because they're very similar. So um, they both have play on doubles, you know, mirroring families mirror, you know, in, in us quite mm -hmm. literally mm -hmm. doubles and, and also this, this class disparity and, you know, parasite is a cynical film. This, the, uh, this filmmaker is the message there is that you can't move among classes. Right. And, and that is my understanding of um, South Korea as well. Yep. After having researched this film and watched this is that, uh, that's a that's a cynical view of it, but it's also very true for this filmmaker and for the characters mm -hmm. in this film, and that uh, and that that metaphor of the par it's not really it's kind of on the nose the parasite right so that everyone is a parasite the culture is is only parasitic we survive off of others and and the one thing I think that this um, film demonstrates in that is that all the characters are victims and perpetrators right i mean if you look at the definition of a, a parasite an organism that lives in or on another and benefits by deriving nutrients at others expense and so each of these families like you said were parasites of one another mm -hmm. and i think this movie it's incredibly cynical um it's sort of like a dark comedy in some areas and then other areas it's very like horror um, but i also think it's like a revenge fantasy in some ways too absolutely i mean some of like you said you were reading reviews um in preparing for this i was reading reviews and watching videos too and so some of the phrases that sort of came up was like darkly playful yep. which i think is true because the first chunk of this movie like the act one is hilarious mm -hmm. it's start it's it's two movies it starts out really funny with the pizza boxes and then just goes yeah. you know <laughs> and just like there are two families just like their class the class the dichotomy of the classes it's like this is also two movies it's mm -hmm. it's like it's hilarious and then really dark mm -hmm. um it, and and his influences seem kind of obvious to me i realized they were making the movies probably at the same time or a similar time but um this movie is a lot like us in that way it's got a different style it, it, but there are similarities in the content and it's just very interesting that in 2019 you know, and this is starting to be a class is starting to be this major theme for both American and international filmmakers, which I think is interesting. But I also thought that, you know, The Shining is an influence on this as well, because it's really a how, you know, at par for part of the movie, obviously, they're in um, this, uh, the Park family's really very nice house and uh, you know in the shining once they're in the motel the the motel reflects who the true nature of the person and i really feel like that happens in the park family's house too mm -hmm. it's like once everybody's in that house in various places the house brings out the true nature of of what's going on so i don't know i see that similarity yeah i and i would add the i definitely think that and then also to um compare that back to the political piece, which is when you have oppressed um, communities, like let's say in Los Angeles, we might say um, black people, Hispanic people often fight one another versus like, in, in, you'll hear a lot of people say that they're killing each other off versus fighting um, the the white people, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like the, in yeah. this house, we see the housekeeper and her husband um, sort of 
fighting with the Kim family versus all of them overthrowing the Park family, which I think is what happens in society is unfortunately the um, underserved, underprivileged, oppressed communities will fight each other versus go at the people who are actually oppressing them. And it happened in the house too when they were fighting over the basement or the little cell yeah. thing, right? <laughs> right, right, um, right. And there's a t-shirt you can buy. I was looking up merchandise just because I thought there were a lot of metaphors in the um in the merchandise and there's a t-shirt that it's one house and the bottom of the house is um the kim's house and then the top of the house is the park's house and it's very like like a metropolis in a way it's really interesting how they do this and they're all in there but they have like the flooding going on at the bottom and then you have like the dogs and the wife at the top and the wind of the window and it really is just this whole i don't know the shirt's really cool though well, I think, I mean, what I feel in that or when I hear you talk about that is that, you know, this movie has a, a psychology of privilege in it. Yeah, right? absolutely. And so there's there's a lot of metaphor. And so the torrential downpour that is a ma- that, that is the major crisis in the movie that happens, that, that spawns the whole ending and everything, this, this torrential downpour where um, that is... A, a minor inconvenience for the Park family and is devastating for the Kim family. And the Park family, even at one point, is like, we think, didn't they say something like they were happy they got the rain? Yeah, it's yeah. it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's just so. So that brings me to a thought about you know, there's a metaphor of water mm-hmm. in this movie, right? And so there's and so if you think about it, there's only one way that water can flow. And that's down. Mm-hmm. And so there's a very obvious, um, you know, the rich family lives on the hill and the poor family lives basically practically underground, mostly mm-hmm. underground. And so when the water comes, this torrential downpour comes they're and, drown. you know, they're going to drown and their whole house is going to wash away because the water and sewage only flows one way and that's mm-hmm. down. And so, and, and, you know, I, I have to say in LA, um, we have that as well just because we have a lot of mountains in Los Angeles. And so often um, privileged people live on the, the hills, you know, the Hollywood Hills. I mean, there's, although their houses do fall there <laughs> and burn and slide and burn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the karmic retribution. Yeah. But you know, that is often it is. I'll just say this. It is more expensive to live in the hills sure. of Los Angeles, generally speaking, than it is to live in the flats, well, as I've always called it's them. It's also like the proverbial like ivory tower. You know, you're up, you're overlooking, you're mm-hmm. up high. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a lot of references from the the Park uh, family, from the wife, where she, and this was this is where I um, think clearly there's a poke at the U.S. in a subtle, it's not so subtle, but there's <laughs> no. a lot of references to the U.S. and how much the wealthy value U.S. culture. Like, oh, I bought it. I bought the tent from, you know, from America or from the United States. It's going to be a good tent or whatever. And it yeah, certainly yeah. highlights like the vanity of the Western world and its detachment from the underserved. So it's almost mocking like everyone in if it's coming from america then it's going to be good quality and everybody in america is pretty privileged i don't know there well, was a comment on capitalism right yeah i mean i that's how i interpret it is that you know the privilege of capitalism and how capitalist societies are um i guess this movie is saying that rich people in this country, you know, I can't speak to how anybody else feels, but in this movie, that's the representation is that the, 
the high class people as opposed to the lower class people prize capitalism and well um, and uh, material goods and also how what things look like and how they're seen because you could look at you know the microaggression of the discussion around smell mm-hmm. in this movie. oh man you know yeah. how 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 the um how the kim family they sort of allude they're ta- they're pretending they're talking about like other people but it's really the kim family standing right in front of them that's working for them it you know they smell they smell because they don't have laundry and they and they live in those conditions. and they live in a condition where water and sewage flow into their home on a regular basis and there's a scene where they are literally fumigated like roaches at one point and the dad hilariously <laughs> leaves the window is, leave the window open he's the lead roach right mm-hmm. so he he leaves the window open and the fumigation he's like we get free fumigation leave the window open and and in the and in the scene if you look at him he's the only one that doesn't react at all the whole family is like oh yes <laughs> you know coughing and <laughs> he me, he sorry. doesn't bless you Thank he you. doesn't react at all um it's just, it's an interesting... I just wanted to say something real quick before yeah. we get too far away from it, though, about the capitalism. Is, yeah. um I, I just do think a, a lot of the rest of the world just sees our country that way, um, mm. that that's what we value. It doesn't really... I don't think they really see us as like, oh, there are people in America with different classes. I mean, clearly they know that from an intellectual level, but I think America paints itself as being incredibly um, preoccupied by aesthetics and expensive mm-hmm. things and toys and all of that. And the movie really reflects that. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Anybody yep. who's traveled internationally, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing when you land in another country as an American, you, uh, at least I have always been starkly aware of my Americanness mm-hmm. in that moment and what I, uh, my, my expectations or my privilege that I try to be conscious of, but mm-hmm. that definitely exists. And I, I own that I have a, have had a privileged existence compared to, a, you know, a lot of people in the mm-hmm. world. Um, and so I'm really hyper aware of that when I land in other countries. And then as you are there and having discussions with, with native people and you, you, if you are aware and cognizant and psychologically minded, as I hope I am, you begin to shift. And by the time, if I'm there long enough, by the time I come home, (laughs) I have this sort of different perspective. And that's why, I mean, personally, I find international travel to be, I mean, I would like to make it a requirement in our schools, if only talk about privilege to be able to internationally travel as a as a young person. I didn't get to do it as a as a teenager, but um, I wasn't I that young, privileged. I think young <laughs> people. Yeah, neither did I. I didn't travel till later, and I've been to a couple different continents. And every time I come back, um, I'm just really thankful for what we have here, mm-hmm. uh, because, like you said, living conditions in many other places in the world do not look like ours at all. No, not at all. And whether, I, I, whether it's food, health, um, I mean, every, not to get into the coronavirus right now, but you think about the living conditions in places mm-hmm. where those the, the that virus has a space to breed. 
Well, I, you know, I could see us getting into the same sort of trouble that China got itself sure. into because part of that was about image and wanting to look a certain way and not wanting to lose face in right. a way. In a, I mean, I'm saying it very simplistically. It's more complicated than that. But I could very easily, well, I'm. we are kind of watching this happen where uh, people in our our government in our leadership are trying to give the impression that it's no big deal and we're fine and then you know and and wanting to desperately have that to save face or to um play into our natural american narcissism that everything's fine and and we kick everybody's butt and we can take care of ourselves we're the exception is gonna shoot us in the foot if we're not uh a little bit smarter than that on the ground. Like if the us as just general people don't um, respect that. But you know, in this movie, there's, there's so much representation just right before we take a break, unless you had um, more on this, which I'm, I'm game Uh, is I was thinking about the structural inequality that, you know, I just want to point out that that's, that's really represented in this movie as far as um, the rich living in, uh, large, expansive, open spaces, you know, with glass, the mm-hmm. house is glass and it's large and it's on the hill and you have, there's views and, and then this, this cramped low mm-hmm. spaces, just that, you know, that, um, the representation of how the structural inequality in our classes. So, you know, you were talking about, it's difficult for those outside of America to understand that we have a class system here, but we absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm thinking about lots and lots of homes that I've been in that are in sort of cramped spaces. Yeah. People, you know, five or six families living in in a house or mm-hmm. um, often it has to do, unfortunately, with people who have come here from other countries and mm-hmm. are not afforded uh, privileges that, you know, they they need. Yeah. Most likely. No, money buys you space. Absolutely. It really does because um I think that would be part of of um what am I trying to say here? When you don't have the funds, when you aren't financially stable, you have to share space. Yeah. You know, when you live in an apartment versus you live in your own house, you're sharing a wall, you're sharing a yard, you're sharing and and there's a lot of stressors that come with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've lived in apartments I'm privileged to live in a house now. And there are, there are, and this is, this is just a, this is nothing compared to what these two families, I'm not looking at that, that polarity is much more extreme, but even something very simple like that, those are things that people take for granted. Something like having your own walls. Yeah. That no one's knocking on or, or listening, listening. Or you have um, privacy. That's a privacy is a privilege. It's absolutely a privilege, and it's a privilege that uh, the Kim family is not afforded in this. Uh, they have uh, that guy who pees outside of their house every day. Mm-hmm. That's not happening at the Parks house. <laughs> no. Or he'd be arrested. That's right. It it would not happen there. I feel like, yeah, I feel like this, the privilege that is in this film uh, you know, the polar opposites that are represented in this film uh, could can be extrapolated to America, not just, I mean, I think that's why the, one of the many reasons why the film has been so popular here is not only because it had an excellent filmmaker and it's it has a message and 
And those, that combination is really popular in our country for, you know, award-winning films, but also because this is a, this is a conversation we're having in our films right now, this class system. Mm -hmm. And to me, that means there is a conversation we're wanting the government to have that isn't happening. Yep. You know, um, like I, like we started out the conversation, I guess, because of my comments and other episodes about, you know, this is a, I, I do feel a lot of times the reaction movies, these are reactions sure. to the current political climate. So on that note, we're going to take a break and we'll come back with more discussion of Parasite. Thank you for listening. While we take a break, go follow us on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page. We upload new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. Hi, everyone. We're back. Uh, we are talking about Parasite today. We're going to get into more of the psychology of the family. Kathy, did you want to Yeah, there's start? There's a huge psychological and sociological component to this film. Clearly, that's why we chose to talk about it. And I think that um, I want to make sure that we're discussing the fact that both of these families have mental health stuff going on yes um it's not just the kims Mm -mm. um because like the saying goes mo money mo problems well and it's not just the park family because that's where i would go like those rich people are crazy yeah they're not they're both which i think is really indicated in act one that i i think that he the filmmaker makes a really great you know opposites um but that they're all, like I was saying, they're all victims and all perpetrators. Yeah. yeah. So I also want to point out that clearly when you watch it, you you know that this is not the case. But it appears as though the Parks are in control. Mm. But the Kims are actually orchestrating and in some ways in complete control of certain things. And I think that speaks to when people are under, if they're... Um, not privileged or they're oppressed that they become incredibly resourceful for survival, which I wanted to talk about a little bit about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if, if nobody has uh, ever seen that before, you can look it up and it's basically a, a triangle. And Maslow talks about depending on where you are in your life and where you are in society, you are going to be at a different level of this pyramid. And so the very, very bottom um, of the fam, I mean, the very, excuse me, the very bottom of this triangle are your basic survival needs. Okay. So this is like whether or not you're either, you have water, you are sleeping, you are breathing. I mean, it's really that like bottom of the barrel. And then you move up to having um, the luxury of thinking about like love and belonging. Okay. So when you look at the Kim family, they're very resourceful. 
but they ha- they have to find parts of the house to steal like the neighbor's Wi-Fi, fold p- pizza boxes for a living, utilizing certain manipulation to get their needs met. There's not a lot of space or room for love and empathy because it's actually a privilege, I think, to have the time to concentrate on nurturing and love and all of that because this family's in constant survival mode and relational problems are not as defined due to basic need deprivation. Mm-hmm. When you look at the the Park family, they're incredibly, here's where their issues come in is they might be up further up on the, the pyramid here, but they're completely disengaged. There's a lot of secrets. Um, they're trustworthy of the Kims due to the idea that a lower class family would not be as smart or resourceful. I think they completely underestimate because they're wealthier, that this family could not be who they actually are. And their problems are considerably less um, life altering. I would say most of their problems are relational and emotional and developmental problems with the children. So this is often, I work in a very privileged area in Los Angeles. And this is what I often see with wealthy families is there are a lot of emotional and developmental problems with the children because there's so much going on in this family and they tend to not take care of those emotional needs and then they throw money at the problem. So they bring them in at the last minute, but they're also not in this desperate survival space, which, which affects families very differently. So you're seeing in some ways, um, similar, there's a similarity in the sense that the emotional development of both of these families are stunted, but for very different reasons, I guess. Yeah. Because if you're looking at the pyramid, which I am right now, mm-hmm. The bottom of the pyramid, it's meant to, you know, any pyramid is meant to be built on. So it's it's kind of talking about transcendence and how we transcend to the top of this pyramid. Like that's kind of how this hierarchy, I mean, that's very in the definition of hierarchy. That's what it is. So in other words, when you're working with someone and I work with a lot of, I work with families that are low on the socioeconomic status um line they they, like safety needs and the basic needs right so it's uh, the things on maslow's hierarchy are like security safety food water warmth rest that kind of stuff so we often talk about this actually in the office of where you know the family wants to communicate better but they also don't have enough money for food so we have to we would prioritize things that have to do with basic needs first. How do they, uh, how do they transport themselves or do we need to help them transport uh, to probation appointments, to meetings at, you know, human services, et cetera. Um, Do they have a safe place to live? Are there scary? Almost like like case management before anything. Absolutely. It's like taking care of someone, you know, getting them gas cards. Um, Do they have running water? Uh, Are they living in a safe environment? That's actually something we confront quite a bit where, you know, because of what we were talking about before with space being a privilege, they're often sharing living spaces with strangers because mm-hmm. they're just renting a room. So uh, so a woman might have uh, three children and she's living in a room in a home and the other people living in that home may or may not be safe options for her children. And how stressful that or is. Or for her and how scary and stressful that is. And then trying to have a good relationship with your children in that environment or having 
children be good at school when that's their home environment? These are the kinds of things. So I think what you're talking about is really important because um, the Kim family is dealing with basic needs and, and working survival. So their predatoriness is based in that realm, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you get higher on Maslow's needs and you've got the esteem needs of, you know, feeling accomplished and intimate relationships mm -hmm. and friends and things, which is kind of the next chunk, which, you know, many people who have their basic needs are kind of working on in their lives. But then you've got the Park family that's really in that and they're a shit show in yeah. their intimate relationships and friendships and such. Yeah. They may have their safety needs and, and physiological needs taken care of. But as far as, you know, belonging and the way they interact with each other. Their emotional IQ is low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T treating each other poorly. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So I think that's a really great way to look at it. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's an interesting thing um, in doing research for this and really looking at Parasite because I like films that love the art form of film, um, as has probably been demonstrated, you know, in talking about Jordan Peele's movies or when I go down a rabbit hole and talk about. I mean, I think Kathy does too. It's just I happen to go down a rabbit hole of analyzing um, films and and so. This film to me is like this film loves the art of film. And the reason why I say that is because there are lots of Easter eggs in it. Just like with Jordan Peele, there's a ton oh my of. God. I always call Easter them, I call them hidden Mickeys. <laughs> yeah. Jordan. Perfect. We both love Disney. By the so. way, it's total. I don't That's mean to Disney digress, reference. but I was just looking up because um, I'm doing some trivia right now for the Shrink Chat show. And mm -hmm. I, I, I went down the Jordan Peele rabbit hole, which is no pun intended because rabbits are a major theme in his movies. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> it works. the amount of stuff that he has yeah. in each film, yeah. I was like, this is so cool. And and this film is a lot like that. So mm -hmm. as over the course of the next year or so, when people are dissecting this film, there'll be a lot more of it. So I, and it's also things that are in Korean culture that I wouldn't pick up on. So Koreans watching this film, it's not going to seem like a big myth. Things aren't going to seem like Easter eggs because they're going to see them right out. Yeah. But because this film has become uh, multiculturally famous and popular, for me, as an American who does not have a lot of exposure to Korean culture, these things were Easter eggs to me. So, like, one example is the way that this filmmaker um, puts these themes, you know, the polar opposites and the class stuff and all of that, and how he mixes things constantly. So, one example of that is there's the scene when the, um, uh, the woman is, I think it's the... I can't remember if it's the housekeeper. I think it might be the housekeeper that they have or if it's the Kim family mom by then. But I, I can't quite remember right this minute. But she's cooking up noodles and meat. And there's this scene where she's like chopping the beef. And it's this like close up scene where she's chopping mm -hmm. beef. Well, what I learned was is that when she's cooking, she's what you see in there are two types of noodles. And apparently those noodles are like the top ramen variety of noodles, like the, the McNoodle. Like mm -hmm. they're the cheap noodles. And then you see her chopping this extremely expensive beef and mixing oh, the two and then serving it to the um, yeah. the woman, the Park family mom. And so like even something as like that. But, you know, he does these intense close-ups on those foods for a reason. Mm -hmm. And now I know why. Mm -hmm. Like those are things I wouldn't necessarily pick up on. Or like this metaphor we were talking about the high and the low and the hills and living mm -hmm. in the basements and stuff. There's, if you look at, if you go through this film with a, with a 
film reviewer, film nerd type of perspective, the Park family, which is the privileged family, they never look down. Like even when people, if you watch the scenes, they don't look under things. They don't look down at the floor. So there's this part of the film where the um, the Kim family is hiding under tables and things, mm-hmm. but they'll never find them because right. they go to the low, right? The the, yeah. the poor family goes to the low. They hide under things. They go in the basement. They go under tables. They go downstairs. Staircases are also a huge theme in this movie, like mm-hmm. a huge metaphor for things. People are always going up and down the stairs, mm-hmm. but the Kim family is always going down under things, mm-hmm. even when they're at the rich person's home. And the Park family is always going like up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they never look under the tables. And if you watch this film with that kind of eye, that family never looks under anything. No, I, I saw that too. And that that's privilege. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. That's like privilege. never thinking there's going to be anything hiding. And just not <laughs> having to worry about security and yeah. not having to, to assume that there could be something going on that they don't know. That goes back to my thought a few moments ago where I was saying um, how they underestimated the, the Kims mm-hmm. because, oh, if they're less um, privileged and clearly we're smarter, we know everything, we're just kind of hiring them to do our work, but completely underestimating their intelligence and their ability and how resourceful they are. Right. And that happens a lot. We see that in the educational system a lot where we just underestimate someone if they have broken English. I'm like, well, they probably speak five more languages than you do. Yeah, probably just because they don't speak your language right. perfectly. They like, probably speak five more languages than like, you do. Let's so. not be up our own asses yeah. so much. Really. Just interesting. The way, <laughs> and this is I think we see this a lot in the United States where white people who only speak English if we hear someone who has broken English there's this like heuristic where it's like oh they're less intelligent or they're like you know there's there is that oh that's a Mm. absolutely a privileged projection and you know if you grew up in this country with a certain amount of privilege it can be very unconscious yeah it can and 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 it's only as you mature and realize things and you know and want to and want to it's very possible that young some young people especially in urban areas now are not are more keyed into that but i can tell you that you know not being in my 20s and having grown up in a different um millennium actually Mm -hmm. uh it, it wasn't something that was talked about. Right. It wasn't something that you would learn except for I grew up and went into psychology and, and learned more. Honestly, if I hadn't gotten into psychology, I would still be, I think, a pretty self-aware person, but but not nearly as no, much and, as I am. And, <laughs> I we, and, and depending on the programs you go into, yeah, true. diversity is a really big part of what our, I mean, where yes. I teach we talk a lot. It's about a huge that. part of mental health it training. Is. For those it should of you who be. Don't know is diversity. It I mean, cultural be. competency is a is a mental health standard. And yeah. granted, people fail at that yep. constantly. I'm sure I have. The I culturally don't... encapsulated therapists. <laughs> there it is. We're oh. all the same. <sighs> so one of the other um, things that I wouldn't have known about. Um, because I don't know the Korean language is, and this is a really small thing, but I thought it was fun, is that all of the Kim family characters have the word, and I'm going to really not pronounce this correctly. Um, they either have a uh, key or Chung in their names, all four of the Kim family. And apparently the word for parasite is um, Ki Sang Chung. Okay. And again, not saying that correctly. 
um, or because it, it might be chi, K-I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really yeah. doing it wrong. But the, the point being is that it's subtle in the word pair. I mean, like, again, if I was Korean and I'm looking at their names, I'm going to pick up on that right away. But in international people who don't speak Korean who are watching the subtitle, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to know. You're mm-hmm. not going to know. I, I just thought that was pretty, I don't know, kind of cool. Um, I mean, this is a really intelligent film. In in from a film perspective, it's like it respects its characters. Things are in line with who they are. They act in line. You know, there's similar. I love when movies are based on antiheroes. Yeah, when everyone is messed up. And I think the Joker. I think like all a lot of very famous big movies, where you kind of say to yourself, you know, I actually kind of like the bad guys. They're kind of really flawed and interesting and I see myself in them or they see themselves in the hero. If you look at, you know, Campbell's um, hero's journey or any kind of basic traditional um, depth of uh, filmmaking structure or script structure, they tell you, you know, if the internal needs of both the protagonist, the antagonist are similar and they're going towards the same thing or they're living in the same world or they're mirrors of each other. They both have negative qualities. They both have positive. Like those are the best stories. Those are the best characters. Those are like the people we totally fall in love with and they're Oscar winners and you don't necessarily know why, but that's, you know. And I think just the the underdog, it's easier to uh, empathize sometimes with, and I would even add race and gender and culture to this. And I've had various conversations with people, especially in this political climate, where it's much easier to empathize with someone who um, is, isn't is a white, cisgender, heterosexual male. Because <laughs> yeah. I think we really look at privilege now. And sorry, white dudes, but you guys have had it for a long time. And I think that a lot of people now, it's like if you look at an antihero and you also add the component of uh, – gender and uh, uh, ethnic diversity, I think a lot more people are willing to empathize or look at that and go, I can actually empathize with that. But if this was a white family doing this, I don't know if I, I don't even know if I could, to be quite honest with me, with you. Um, So I think that race and gender and all of that to play a part in the anti-hero, anti-hero and what people are able to connect with or or unable to connect with. Yeah, uh, films like any any um, cultural piece of history has to take into consideration what its audience can tolerate and what people are sick of. Yep, the white saviorism. You know, yes. there's a lot of films now that we look back and go, "Wow, that was historically told completely inaccurate. The white mm-hmm. man did not come in at that time and save that person." Mm-hmm. So, I think this is and I bring this up only because we talk about Parasite being really politically charged and um, just like Jordan Peele's films, is we're seeing more awareness around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so being very careful in how we present certain characters. Because in the past, uh, a lot of times white men were put in these really heroic characters when it was historically inaccurate. Yeah, a lot of historical movies still do that. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's what we live with. I wanted to bring up the... I know he calls it the stone, but it's a landscape rock and some of the, the um, significance around Mm -hmm. this. And there's so much, I mean, I was looking up all the different interpretations, but, um, but Bong's cast, I guess, was puzzled over the interpretations of landscape rock, but, (laughs) but he consistently declined to actually share too much of his own intention. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
and I'm probably going to butcher this name too, but Choi Woo Sheik, the 29 year old actor who plays Ki Woo, Mm -hmm. um, I guess he gave it a considerable amount of thought Mm -hmm. and he saw it as representing all the heavy pressure Ki Woo was feeling to take care of his family and find a way to get ahead. But as production began, his interpretation completely shifted. He said, I started to think maybe it represented the family's desire for a shortcut because they start using fraud to try to jump um, to a higher SES. But I think what what was supposed to be at this charm of good luck ends up triggering a series of of bad things and it turns into a curse. So there's a lot of irony. I don't want to give away if anyone hasn't seen the film, but there's a lot of irony around this stone as well, I think, throughout the film. Yeah, my understanding is that um, there's this juxtaposition between water and stone, and it just makes sense, of course, that we're looking in the natural world and sort of seeing how much of the natural world um, Bong brings in to this. Um, but that the water represents, you know, reality and destiny, and that stone really uh, represents false hope and delusion. Because if you if you look through the movie, every time this kid interacts with this stone and 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 really fixates on keeping it and it's given to him as a gift which from, from my understanding in korean culture was a it's a really bizarre gift and it's a bizarre thing to have gotten the gift from who they got it from and so anyone that knows korean culture would like get sort of get really thoughtful about like c- curious and apparently bong said that like he wanted the audience to feel like it was a mystery and that it was really curious that it was there and be curious about the stone. So definitely be looking at what the stone meant. And it's all the different times in the movie when the character, the young um, character interacts with the stone. It's about, it's about his delusion because even the ending is a little bit unexplained where he, mm-hmm. um, there's a, you're not going to, this isn't necessarily going to spoil it because you don't know what I'm talking about, but there's like a stone and a letter and he kind of trades them out. And um, it, it just really represents this young man's delusion about who he, at least from the filmmaker's perspective, it's a delusion Mm -hmm. because if you remember, it's a cynical movie where people can't move among the classes. That's really part of its statement is that um, no matter how much you try, you can't. Is kind of the the message there. It, it, it's totally a delusion, and I would I would say that in some ways it's a protective factor for him. Um, and we see this a lot in chronic mental illness when people have delusions about things because um, they're stuck in life, maybe because of their illness or their status or whatever. And I know that working in forensic mental health, a lot of times we've had to make sure that we don't spoil that delusion for them because it might be the only thing that keeps them going. Yeah, that's right. And so I feel like that's what it was for, for the son where he had to believe this. And if anyone would have tried to remove that, it would have ended him. Well, if you even think about the water and stone, you know, stone is fixed stone, a delusion or a false hope is it, it's it's really representative of a mental illness. So it's like the stone is fixed; it doesn't move. Mm-hmm. It's um, black and white. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It, it, and water, it, water is if water is reality and destiny and hope, and it moves, it flows. It's it you know liquid. But it's is, not moving that. Yeah, no, and it's not moving that. So it's just really interesting. I, I, one thing came up when you were talking about. Um, I oft when I have worked with very mentally ill people, it's something I have definitely had to caution people against because in families, when one person 
is having severe mental illness and delusions and or even not schizophrenia or things like that, but a teenager who has beliefs or thoughts about things or uh, a huge trauma past. And so much of the time, parents or caregivers will want to say, um, well, that's not the way it was, or that's not true, or right. just constantly wanting to rob someone who might be more innocent, which I would say children or um, trauma victims or the severely mentally ill are living in a in a, a little bit more, uh, I don't know what the word would be. I, I, it's not really an innocent world necessarily, for sure. So I'm not really saying the right word, but people around them that see themselves as more rational are going to want to tell them that they're not seeing reality correctly. And we call that gaslighting, but there's various levels of gaslighting. It's 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 not intentional. They're not doing it intentionally. They just want they just want to say like they've done this wrong thing or they've gone to the hospital. When do I get to punish them for that? Mm -hmm. It's like, "Oh yeah, no, we don't punish for trauma triggers mm -hmm. when we react to trauma triggers." And like you said, Stripping, you know, for example, stripping a schizophrenic of a delusion when they're in a delusional moment does nobody any good. So that's not the way you, I mean, I think maybe the general public might think that when we sit with someone who has delusions of grandeur of, you know, um, sitting on clouds with Obama or something, mm -hmm. uh, that we would say, no, that that's didn't not, happen. That's not happening. That didn't happen because yeah. that's not true. And here's why it's not true. No, we're going to roll with that to a certain extent. And then when they're uh, maybe more medicated or in a more stable phase, we're going to talk to them about how they can gut check reality. Yeah. Like then we're going to work with. So it's, I think that's a really great point. Thank you. Yeah. Is that it? That's all I have. Okay. <laughs> so that is our discussion on Parasite. Uh, we we both very much enjoyed the movie. I mean, I like I liked it a lot. I mean, the movies we have chosen to speak about, uh, Jordan Peele's movies, Joker, et cetera, along the way, um, have recently been movies that have a lot of thick meaning in them. At Jordan Peele, anything he does, I'll watch. He's I'm yeah, such, I love his mind. The trailer for Candyman is out. Oh, did you man. see it? Yeah, and and um, <laughs> I've I, I've seen so many people who I did not anticipate to be <laughs> yeah. excited for this movie. Yes. I mean, I naturally am because I love him. I love horror and I loved the original mm -hmm. but so many people are talking about this film and i'm like wow i don't i wouldn't see half the people who can't wait to see it i'm surprised i think people That's are great. just really pulled to him yeah i mean it's a it's an excellent uh choice because no one in their right mind is going to care about a remake of Candyman, except no. for if Jordan Peele made because it. Because it's, <laughs> like, it's going to be so deeply psychological. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, we're going to come back. We have one more segment on the show today where we were going to do our What the Hell segment. So stick around. Hi, everyone. We are back. This is our What the Hell segment. Kathy, would you like to go first or? Sure. All right. This is a good one. Ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. Holly Malone's mugshot says it all. I'm a serial pooper and I'm kind of kind of embarrassed about it. That's a quote. I'm a serial pooper and I'm kind of embarrassed about it. Malone should be embarrassed. Okay. According to police in Connecticut, Malone, age 43, was responsible for a string of dumps in a residential cul-de-sac during the fall and winter of 2017. 
On November 7th, 2017, the first selectman for the town of East Granby, Granby, Connecticut, contacted the police to inform them that poop had been discovered in the middle of Kirkstone Drive. I'm loving your journalistic... (laughs) The assailant... (laughs) Newscaster voice. The assailant (laughs) left behind toilet paper at the scene, too. Nine days later, Kirkstone Drive was once again pampered with poo. The final assault took place on December 5th, 2017. Early Christmas gift. But this time, security cameras caught the offender's vehicle. Malone was arrested in February 2018 as part of a traffic stop that had nothing to do with her bodily waste. When the serial pooper was questioned, she claimed that she kept defiling Kirkstone Road in East Granby because she could not make it home in time to use her own toilet. (laughs) I'm glad you can't say that with a serious face. Malone was taken into custody and publicly apologized for her quote-unquote stupidity. She also mentioned that she was lactose intolerant and that her mass pooping was due to her daily dairy allergy. I'm a cereal pooper and I'm kind of embarrassed about it. A cereal pooper. You with the poop and the pee lately. Man, these are, I mean, I just love that they put cameras up and everything. Then she apologized to the neighborhood because of her dairy allergy. Like wear a diaper, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what people and do. where are you going? for? Like, are you stopping at the Dairy Queen and driving home and that's why you're shitting your pants on the car? Like, why is it the Kirkstone Drive gets hit? Yeah. Time well, it out. I think there's a little bit more going on there. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so, on that note, geez, peeing, pooping constantly. Are you, like, searching for, you know, people who poop on the street to find the story it's so ridiculous (laughs) i know there are certain search words on certain weeks i will use oh yes me too poop was we are not poop is one but i am not going to reveal the others (laughs) okay so uh yes so the name of the story for me is nude burglary suspect She just starts laughing. Because I just pictured that. <laughs> Nude burglary suspect found asleep in California home. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So a Northern California man got a present. No. Got quite a surprise when he came home from work Tuesday. This is in 2017. And found a naked woman asleep in his bed. Oh, my God. Taco Tuesday. Yeah. So <laughs> so when he, so I'm going to take you through this. <clears throat> when he first got home... He said he saw a package that had been delivered to his porch and was cut open with a utility knife taken from his home. Okay. So he recognized the knife, I guess, and the package was open. Then, so then he walks in his home. First thought is like, hmm, I would probably still walk in my home like a dummy. Then when he unlocked his door, he saw a sandwich in the kitchen (laughs) with a bite taken out of it (laughs) and a cold beer from his refrigerator with a sip missing. Okay, just so one sip. This is maybe when I would call the police. Yeah, if if I didn't live with anyone else, <laughs> police also found an empty beer later elsewhere in the house. So she had some beers, okay. made a sandwich, and then cut had- open the gift, cut open the package as if it was her house, and then opened one other beer and just and took, a sip. took a sip. The homeowner also noticed someone had recently used his shower, and there were women's clothes flung on the floor. Still not calling the police at this point. Not not quite yet. Yeah, I'm like, she literally just like came home like it was her house, opened the package, didn't see anything. She like left it there because she cray cray, goes in the kitchen, makes a sandwich. She was nice enough to put the open beer back in the fridge, though. Oh, right. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, So then next up was his bedroom, 
where the man found this young woman asleep in his bed without any clothes on. The man woke the woman <laughs> and she got dressed and started to leave. Excuse me, ma'am. Could you please leave? <laughs> Hello. Are you in the wrong house? That's when the man dialed the police on his phone while he, then? Kept, it, while he kept an eye on her. Totally not afraid. Talk about. She's getting dressed right now. I mean, we've yes. been talking about privilege in this episode. Yes, she's putting her clothes on right now. Mm -hmm. Talk about a man not afraid. Well, I, no, that I was, that's what I was thinking, but I didn't yeah. want to throw out one more of my soapbox things as, as a woman, the, the, we would have stopped in the kitchen and called the police. Yeah. If I don't live with anyone, he doesn't have to worry about getting raped. He doesn't have to worry about getting assaulted. He apparently not must be nice. <laughs> so then calls the police, et cetera, you know, apparently made her, you know, <laughs> She apparently not only tried to get some rest, but police, you know, she took a shower, she took, she ate a sandwich, she drank a beer. Um, she also took a pack of cigarettes that the man said belonged to him. Just made herself at home. And then the police said, we were thinking more of like a Goldilocks theme with this one. <laughs> Referring to the fairy tale character who wanders through the forest and plunders the home of the three bears. And liked one beer, but not the other. I just like this how This one's they, not cold enough. This I just like how cold. when talking to the journalist, he threw out a metaphor for- Yeah, the Goldilocks. I, I'm appreciating that. So the unidentified, um, the unidentified man called the police at 5.40 p.m. So this was all happening during the day. Uh, yeah. So she was 33 years old. Um, and apparently, I don't know, Shen, you think maybe drugs has something to do with this? <laughs> you think? Well, there's a picture. So, oh, let me see her. Yeah. Here you go. She's young. Oh yeah. That's drugs. She looks young and, and she looks tired. Um, so I understand why she wanted to get some sleep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Looks almost like, like, a uh, yeah, like drugs. Um, I mean, the officers arrived quickly and found her already dressed because obviously he had let her get dressed and sitting on a chair on the home uh the front porch like waiting <laughs> they put her in the vehicle um nice. what was that uh, well, let me see nice what she was up let me see what you police arrested booked her into shasta county jail on suspicion of residential burger suspicion residential burglary burg burglary burglary possession of stolen property and petty theft interesting yeah what the hell man yeah thank you so much for listening to this episode and please tune back in on friday for our shrink chat show we will talk to you then this is tara talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.